Hello, and welcome to the Cynical Podcast. We take deep dives into the most star-studded films, blockbuster movies, and most hype popcorn flicks. We're your hosts, Clacia, Malika, and Will. And today, we're going to talk about Jojo Rabbit. Woo! Excitement. This podcast is going to contain spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie, stop what you're doing. Go over to Alamo Season Pass. If you don't have Alamo Season Pass, sign up for Alamo sponsor Season Pass. Alamo. Alamo sponsor us, Alamo. Sign up, get tickets, go see this movie, and then come back. So let's start with the plot summary. Ten and a half year old Johannes, affectionately nicknamed Jojo, experiences the ups and downs of growing up while living as a kid in Nazi Germany towards the end of World War II. Jojo, played by Roman Griffin Davis, is a naive zealot. He attends Nazi youth camp with his second best friend, Yorkie, played by Archie Yates, and often seeks advice from his imaginary first best friend, Adolf Hitler, played by Taika Waititi. His insecurities get the better of him when a bunch of older kids bully him about his lack of a killer instinct, and it results in him injuring himself during a bomb-throwing exercise. This leads to his instructors being demoted for their negligence. During his recovery, we learn that Jojo's mom, played by Scarlett Johansson, has been harboring a teenage Jewish girl named Elsa in their house. In exchange for his silence, Jojo strikes a deal with Elsa, where he won't say anything so his mom doesn't get into trouble, and Elsa is supposed to help him write an expose on Jews in Nazi Germany. In the months that follow, Jojo spends a lot of time with Elsa, produces a bunch of laughs and tears, and fundamentally alters his view of the world. All right, so let's talk about what was your guys' first impressions after seeing this movie? Right when I was done seeing it, I was just so happy, but also sad. I was feeling so many different things. I just thought it was really a wonderful movie. I came out still in tears. I don't even know why I was crying. It wasn't that sad. It was just an emotional movie. What? It I, was sad, uh, but... I cried so hard. I really, really love this movie. It was such a good balance of the horrors of war, but also there was so much heart there were times where I was like, couldn't stop laughing. Other times I couldn't stop crying. And there were other times where I was just kind of uncomfortable about both of those things. But I still <laughs> just really love this film. And it's probably one of my favorites that I've seen in the last couple months. I think it's my favorite movie that I've seen this year so far. Yeah, and that's a pretty high bar because we've seen a lot of really good movies together. We just came yeah. off talking about how much we love Joker. Yeah, so I definitely agree with you guys. I think what ultimately makes this such a good movie is that it was a good experience. So there's times you can see a good movie, but it leaves you feeling a really emotionally vulnerable or really angry. And I didn't feel those things. I felt there was the right amount of closure. And I just feel like it was a really good story. It was portrayed by great actors and it was heralded by a great director. And it just was a really great experience. All and overall. for the most devout followers of our podcast who are seeing the movies that we're doing podcasts about, it's a good one to see after Joker because Joker takes something that's a little bit lighter source material and makes it super dark. Whereas this movie takes something that was actually real and very intense in World War II and has a little bit more lightheartedness, brevity to it. And it just makes you come out feeling better than something like Joker. Yeah, agreed. And I think it's a shame that more people don't know about this film. A lot of people that I've talked to, like, hey, we're doing Jojo Rabbit next. It's not a blockbuster in the same way um, that something like Spider-Man or, or Hobbs and Shaw, some of the other movies we've done, are, yet it has a ton of big names in it. You know, as you mentioned, Clay, like Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, Rebel Wilson, Alfie Allen, fresh off of Game of Thrones. So it's got a lot of big names, and I hope that the buzz continues, because it was such a good movie. And even Taika Waititi, like, after Thor Ragnarok, 
Um, he's starting to build a bit of a, you know, a repertoire, if you will, with Hunt for Wilder People, What We Do in the Shadows, Thor Ragnarok, and now Jojo Rabbit. He's building a nice little, uh, I don't know, it's quiver like, of movies. Yeah, a nice niche for himself. There's yeah. not a, right. any director that's doing what he's doing in the way that he's doing it right now. Right. And I think you could talk about that balance of, you know, humor um, and heart also in Thor, right? He does a really good job of, of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's dive into some of the big themes of this movie. So one of the first things, we just kind of mentioned it, that came out is how do you extract a little bit of humanity through the horrors of a war film? I mean, this takes place in the heart of wartime. Uh, Germany's losing the war. You'd probably estimate it's about 1945 when when the movie takes place. So how do you extract heart and humor out of that setting? Like, I I thought Taika did a fantastic job. And I think it it ultimately comes back to you have to know what you're trying to do. And I don't think he went in trying to make a movie about Nazis. I think he wanted to make a coming-of-age movie. He wanted to make a movie about people. And he put them in an extreme pressure cooker type setting. And I think when you give that to people that know how to handle that material, then you're going to get really great results. And when you hear about the movie and you hear, okay, it's this movie with a kid who has Adolf Hitler as an imaginary friend and it's an anti-hate satire, you're probably thinking it's I don't, way more bombastic than it actually is, right? Like it's way crazier and way out there and it's just totally off the walls wild. It's not really like that. I mean, yes, Adolf Hitler as an imaginary best friend is pretty crazy, but it doesn't feel that outside of the world we're in while you're watching the movie. The imaginary Adolf Hitler is probably the wackiest character in the movie. And I think because that is a choice that Taika Waititi makes, it works. Because if everyone had been off the wall, kind of Wes Anderson kooky type character, it, it, I can understand how I would have cheapened it and it made the subject matter seem a little bit like, like it was being abused for the sake of just drawing laughs out of it. But I think the fact that the most you know, bigoted character in the movies, the most ridiculous, that's a specific choice. Right, and then the other Nazis are ridiculous, but not as ridiculous as the Nazi leader. So I think that they they definitely use that as a way to show that they're not Nazi supporters. And it's such a risky move for Taika Waititi to make. Like, let's make this movie about Hitler. He's half Jewish himself, so clearly, like, he has some personal feelings about it. But I mean, the world knows, right? World War II, what Hitler did was terrible. I don't think there's any gray line there, but I just think it was such a big risk and it played off. And you know, to your point, like you, he trusted these actors, but it could have completely been tone deaf. So it easily have, blown like, up in just their faces. not worked. But the, the acting was so phenomenal. The direction was so phenomenal. There were so many, it was just, it was just such a rich tapestry that I just... Love this movie. I have only good things to say. And it's interesting what you just brought up with uh, Hitler being the most out there wild character in this movie. It's kind of the theme of this movie where all of the most hateful, uh, bigoted characters come off as the most... um, Absurd. Absurd, right. Uh, You have Taika as Hitler, Sam Rockwell as the... Nazi youth director, if you will, and Alfie Allen and um, Rebel, Rebel Wilson. Wilson as other Nazi youth soldiers. And then Stephen Merchant as the Gestapo 
leader, he's also one of the most kind of wild. They, you know, they walk in the room and they all repeat. It was like Hi, cartoon Hitler. villain. Yeah. It was cartoon. honestly absurd. And when you <laughs> cast Stephen Merchant, you, you know what you're getting, right? He's right. so tall and goofy looking. And that's even reflected where in the opening credits, they're playing real found footage of Nazi Germany and they're playing the Beatles over it. And it makes you laugh because it's so against what you would expect seeing these, this footage of Nazi Germany. But it like adds a air of humor to it. You feel a little uncomfortable laughing, but it's it's hard not to laugh. I mean, I would hope you feel uncomfortable <laughs> laughing. I would say we all did. If you yeah. didn't, check your check yourself. <laughs> you heard it in the theater. People laughed, and then it was kind of like, huh. Oh. You're like, am I allowed to laugh? Yeah. But it's clearly a comedy. You're supposed to laugh. That's something I really loved about this movie. Is it's a comedy, but it's not fully a comedy um something i thought that taika did really well was kind of the tone change throughout the movie when it first opens the first 30 minutes where jojo is at the hitler youth camp it almost comes off like a wes anderson movie. it absolutely mm-hmm. does it, it made me think yeah. of like moonrise kingdom immediately because of Same. the outfits and all that's that. how i actually described it to people and i was like oh i'm going to see this movie it sounds like a wes anderson film yeah it's kind of absurdist but as the film goes along, that absurdity definitely moves to the background as the more serious, um, heartfelt relationship between not only Jojo and his mom, but Jojo and Elsa uh, comes to the forefront and that becomes the main part of the movie. That's such a good point and it kind of comes to another big theme of this movie, which is kind of coming of age. So you can almost say that as Jojo himself learns more about the world and matures, the tone of the movie matures with him because in the beginning of the movie, he's like the first scenes he's like sitting in front of his mirror. Like, you know, like most kids do trying to amp themselves up. And if it wasn't a kid amping himself up for Nazi youth camp, it'd be cute and adorable, but there's still this tone about it. You're like, Oh, this is not great. And he's, you can tell that he's trying to prove himself to people that in this world are the people that you need to prove yourself to, but his heart's not really in it. And it's constantly a battle for him of fighting his own nature, fighting the things that he knows and understands, and then trying to see how the things that he's now learning, they don't always like come together perfectly and he doesn't know how to handle that. So the, the seriousness of the movie kind of creeps in as these kind of realizations and as this maturity comes to Jojo, which I thought was kind of a cool choice. And his need for his best friend, Adolf Hitler, minimizes as the movie goes on, right? In the beginning, like even when they call him Jojo Rabbit and they make fun of him, Hitler's the one being like, that's actually a good thing, and he's like pumping him up. And as the movie goes on and as he deepens his relationship with Elsa, Hitler is sort of in the background being like, what are you doing? Like, include me. You know, he's not as reliant on his imaginary friend. Yeah, and the coming-of-age story is kind of a vehicle to portray the breaking out of the indoctrination of Nazi Germany because kind of like most coming-of-age stories it's about young kids starting to think and feel for themselves starting to find their own way starting to break out of what they were the environment they were raised in and in this movie you see as he's starting to interact with Elsa the Jewish girl all of a sudden he's talking to Hitler and he's saying He's not necessarily saying this, but he's realizing everything I've been told isn't actually true. They don't have fangs and they don't have horns and they don't sleep from the ceiling like bats. And not only with breaking out of the indoctrination of Nazi Germany, but he's feeling feelings for 
a girl for the first time, you see the butterfly in his stomach. So it's usually it's really used as a vehicle to um, kind of show the breaking out of that indoctrination. And the relationship that he has with Elsa is is so cute. You know, it starts off. I mean, I guess it doesn't start off so cute. It starts off him trying being to a bigot, stab right? Stab her and, and then yeah, her threatening know, saying him? like, "How dare you, Jew?" Which is a terrible. You know, it just it just makes you so uncomfortable seeing a little kid filled with so much hate. But then as the movie, you know, progresses, he lets down his guard. He like hears about her life and he recognizes that she's a human too, just like him, and chooses her to be, you know, part of his family. And I think that was another really nice theme of the movie is like, what does family mean? Jojo's father is missing. He's being raised by a single mom, Sarah Johansson. Now there's this woman well, I guess she's, what, like 17? She's like so, 16 or 17, so I think. So a young woman living in his walls, and he chooses to eventually, after, you know... Took him a while. Took him a while, <laughs> but he eventually embraces her, and yeah. it's really lovely. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, that theme of family, it's one of my favorite parts of this movie because I think, especially if you go into this movie just looking at the marketing materials for it, just watching the trailers, just... I don't think it's one of those things that's talked about as much um, because there's an element of, um, you know, so Jojo's sister has had passed away. So there's a sister that doesn't appear in the movie and her presence kind of weighs in the beginning. You don't really know what happened. You don't even know who she is. You just know there was another girl who lived there and, and you can kind of glean as a sister, but you don't find out about who she was or we don't even really know exactly what happened to her. I think it's alluded that she got sick and, and died. Um, but, you know, considering it's wartime and the only family that Jojo has left is his mom and, you know, the mother, uh, Scarlett Johansson as the mother, she clearly has very conflicting beliefs with the type that Jojo has fallen in with. And she's doing the best that she can to, you know, raise him to be a good person while also kind of giving him room to learn on his own. She didn't ever at one point tell him you're wrong and what you believe is wrong. She kind of just pointed out the absurdity of some of the stuff that he was doing to make him question the things that he was doing, the things that he was repeating, which I thought was actually really interesting. Um, But then, you know, you have, that's his only familiar unit. That's his only kind of anchor outside of the Nazi youth camp. So when he loses that, he has to choose Elsa as his other anchor. And he realizes through her being humanized of talking to her and getting to know her, that there's way more to the world than just what you think, you know, when you're 10 and a half years old. Right. And kind of to that point, the, the movie really is about the humanity of the people during this time. You know, a lot of war movies, you get a us versus them, or you only get one perspective of um, the people on one side of a war and the story of those people. But here it's really interesting where you see the humanity of just a little boy who's doesn't know any better and was raised in Nazi Germany. You see the humanity of his mom who's fighting back against it. And then the interaction between the two of them, it's really interesting i've never seen a movie where a 10 year old boy and his mom have political differences or they're arguing at the dinner table but it's carried through to other parts of the film too right because sam rockwell in the end when he saves jojo's life by coming through and seeing he's showing some humanity not only does he save jojo's life when uh the town is taken over by allied troops he saves elsa's life the jewish girl when he realizes this isn't actually jojo's sister she's faking and he can put two and two together and realize it's a jewish woman that they're harboring in their house 
but it's really about the humanity and people making connections and just going a level deeper and realizing, you know, we're all, we're all human. We're all people. We all think and feel the same way as, well, we don't feel the same way as everyone, but we're all human and we're we're all thinking. We're all trying to survive. (laughs) It kind of comes back to that theme of survival too. And, you know, when you said earlier, Clay, that Scarlett Johansson's, you know, as a single mom, just doing the best she can. She actually says that, you know, they one of the darker moments in the movie. JoJo and his mom are walking through the town square, and you sort of just see the feet of all of these like five or six people who have been hanged for being anti-Nazi, or you know, they actually don't even explain what they might have done, but you just see their feet, and you know that they've been hanged, and then. I was getting emotional yeah. thinking about it. And then, you know, she explains to Jojo, like, you know, when he asks, like, what they've done, like, they were doing the best they can. They must have been harboring other Jewish people or basically not doing what yeah. the Nazis stand for. And later on in the movie, you find out that Scarlett Johansson, as you mentioned, Will, is also, not only is she harboring this young Jewish woman, but she's also actively working against the Nazi party. And it's also hinted that maybe Jojo's father is doing the same thing. And she's allowing her son to participate in the Nazi youth to protect him, even though she doesn't actually believe it. And eventually she does get caught and is hung too. And it just... I know it, it makes me so emotional because, she, you know, she was just trying to protect her son, but also didn't wasn't a coward. You know, she risked her own life in order to help other people, and it was just such a, she was just such a good character. <laughs> I really loved yeah. her. It really was so good. She, I gotta say, she wasn't a very good. She wasn't very good at what she was doing. She was just leaving notes around. In yeah, the I mean, town she was, was very, very obvious, obvious. <laughs> about yes. leaving around anti-Nazi propaganda yeah. around town. I'm like, wait, she's just like, ooh, I'm gonna leave this secret note here on the park I bench. I mean, she did get <laughs> caught, but she was doing the best she could. She was and, doing the best she could. And Jojo echoes that at the end. You know, he's like, oh, we just got to do the best we can, and yeah, that's when he helps Elsa. It was just, yeah. it was so beautiful the yeah. way they tied that together. Agreed. And there's almost kind of a runner to that theme of doing the best you can with the fact that Jojo can't tie his shoelaces even though he's ten and a half years old so throughout the movie it's kind of like a little joke that he can't tie his shoelaces and then when he injures himself he can't tie his shoelaces so his mom does it for him so you have these moments of connection and intimacy between him and his mom and I think one of them even happened when he's mad at her but it kind of just goes back to show you that you know you know the people in your life who care about you even when you're mad at them even when you disagree they're gonna be there for you and I think it makes it that much more painful when Jojo's mom does get hanged and then he has to learn how to tie his own shoes. But you actually see him tying Elsa's shoes, which I thought was a really cool choice because it was less about him helping himself and more about him passing along the kind of lessons his mom taught him and helping someone else. And I thought that was really beautiful. The relationship between Jojo and his mom was so precious. That's what tugged at my heartstrings the most. When well, Will is a mama's boy. I am. <laughs> so shout out, mom. You're one of our two podcast fans. Uh, Thanks, Will's mom. Mrs. Rayner, we love you. <laughs> but when, you know, just the relationship, like we talked about, they have their political differences, right? Jojo is a Nazi youth and his mom is fighting the liberation fight against the Nazi Germany. But when she ties his shoes together and runs away from him and makes him untie him themselves. And when, uh, you know, Jojo's mom, he gets mad at her because essentially she's, she's a single parent and her dad's not there. And she puts on the fireplace ashed as a beard and pretends to be her husband. And then her and Jojo dance in the living room. That's what got me the most. I was getting was so choked good. up yeah. so bad there. I was I like, might start crying now. Because <laughs> yeah. tying back to all the themes we've talked about, 
choosing your family, the family, like who your family actually is, what you actually believe, coming of age, and, you know, the humanity that's there in the midst of this war. And in a lot of ways, Scarlett Johansson had the toughest role because while it's a comedy, while it's a satire, a lot of the other characters like Rebel Wilson and Sam Rockwell can be completely goofy, right? They're not necessarily holding the story together. But Scarlett Johansson also represents, as, you know, as we said, so heartwarming. Like she's also some of the seriousness of it. She eventually dies, right? It's not an easy end for her. She really pulled off that, you know, being a loving, strong single woman raising her son, but also being hilarious. And they dance, he ties her shoes together. There's a really cute moments. She teaches Jojo about the butterflies, you know, like the beat after beat, she really killed it. And I have to admit, I have not of late been a Scarlett Johansson fan. I remember her from like Ghost World back in the day, I loved her then. And then I thought that she kind of sold out for a while. Wasn't a huge fan of Black Widow, but I'm back on her side. I really loved her performance. Well, let's dive a little deeper then into just the, all the performances all the characters in this movie. I agree with you. I think Scarlett Johansson was almost the emotional core of this movie. Um, I mean, it obviously she with, was. with Roman Griffin Davis's Jojo being the protagonist and the main character, it, it'd be incredibly easy to say, oh no, it's his movie. But if you don't have Scarlett Johansson pulling off the what she's trying to pull off, pulling off the the anger and the frustration and the warmth and the love there's no anchor for Jojo. He has no one else to bounce off of and understand the things that he's now experiencing, his feelings with Elsa, his conflicts about being in the Nazi camp. She's the one that is the anchor for him. And and then that's what makes it so devastating when she dies because he now has to realize that like, I'm on my own. Right. And even in the story, Jojo clearly doesn't, can't be the emotional anchor of the movie because he doesn't know how he feels. That's why he has that Adolf Hitler best friend to tell him when he doesn't know how to feel or when he's questioning what he's doing, to have this imaginary friend pull him back one way or the other. And that's why, you know, his mom is there, not only for the characters in the film, but for us as an audience to kind of have a straight and narrow path to follow. Um, I think that, you know, everyone... Like a champion, someone yeah. to kind of follow through the yeah. movie. Yeah, we fall on one side or the other with... Uh, well, hopefully we all fall on one side, but <laughs> the characters right. in the movie, like Scarlet is that kind of lightning rod and you fall on one side or the other with her. Yeah. yeah. But honestly, though, Roman Griffin Davis is JoJo. Such a great performance. Really Honestly, impressive. Really impressive. Probably one of my favorite youth performances in years. Put him in everything, you guys. I, I loved him. He I, was great. I can't believe this is his first movie. I looked at his IMDb and he doesn't have any yeah. other credits. Oh my God. This Taiko ITD likes to cast unknowns. And I, I'm not sure about um, the actress who played Elsa, but I don't recognize her from anything. I think she's, she's been in one, one been or in two stuff. movies. Okay, but but she's, smaller things. Yeah, and okay. she's relatively young. I think she's... She's 19. Uh, 19 eight, yeah, so she's just kind of like up and coming, if you will. But yeah, the fact that Roman Griffin Davis was able to kind of tug at the heartstrings, he, every emotion that he felt was on his face, which is what you wanted and what you needed out of a kid kind of, you know, confronting new emotions. Like I experienced everything that he experienced. I, everything, Clay? Everything he <laughs> experienced? Even the butterflies. Just even the ha- hand grenade? <laughs> I mean, my face kind of hurts. Does that count? No? All well, right. yeah, and it was it was such an interesting it was really cool to see Jojo kind of struggle with being a young boy in this machismo society when he's at the Hitler youth camp and they're all there and they ask him to kill a rabbit and he did such a good job with like 
struggling with the morality of just killing this innocent rabbit. That's why they call him Jojo Rabbit. When he gets the pep talk from Hitler to go in there and make a big splash and throw the hand grenade. Like, such a mistake. It, it, it was <laughs> such a good portrayal of a young boy like trying to figure out what he is, who he is, you know, what this world around him means. And he had such good chemistry with a lot, like everybody, that he interacted with everybody, right? With Sam Rockwell, he had great chemistry. With his mom, Scarlett Johansson, with, um, with Elsa, like he, and with Hitler, like he really pulled it off. And there were such different relationships with each of these people. So for such a young actor, I am a huge fan. Like what a, what a great performance. I actually think he was uh, the second best child actor in the movie. <gasps> After Yorkie, Yorkie his best friend. Oh, how could I forget? He was seen. the best character in the whole movie. Yes, we need to talk about Yorkie. <laughs> was the, uh, so what was, what was the line? It was like, I'm a, I'm a kid in a fat kid's body. Yeah. <laughs> Just the way he delivered it. And at the, towards the end of the movie and we can we can talk more about that final scene in a little bit but there's another moment where he's just like he's been enlisted he's this 10 year old kid and he's just like he plays it so straight faced but saying the most absurd things like really really killed it and it was such a beautiful like god Friendship. I love this yeah. movie it's they so like wonderful. ran up to each other and hugged each other every time they saw it was just so yeah, cute they and they were truly best friends and at the end when Yorkie second is best friends l- right sorry when Yorkie is actually in the Nazi army and <laughs> he goes up to Jojo and he's like, what's going on? And Jojo's like, oh, my mom's harboring a Jew and I think I'm in love with her. And Yorkie's like, that's cool. Like, <laughs> like, I've like, missed you, Jojo. Yeah, and miss you. I've missed you, Yorkie. And then yeah. they go off. Yeah. Like, it, just, it, it worked. It could have fallen flat, but it really worked. Yeah, it was really great. Yeah, especially as the movie gets more serious towards the end, Yorkie kind of became that kind of... Yeah balance of having a little bit of innocence and we can't talk about performances without mentioning Taika Waititi as Adolf Hitler so you know it's not uncommon for Waititi to have some appearance in his films um as far as I know this is probably the first time he's played a not necessarily a serious character but a character that's capable of this type of anger and like you know I don't know. Not well. Hefty. Let's be real. <laughs> Taika was playing Taika in this movie. He was playing Taika Watiti dressed up as Hitler. I, it was obviously he wasn't going for any sort of realism with Hitler. Um, one because they didn't try to make him look that much alike. But when you think about what Hitler was saying in this movie, you know, talking about going to eat unicorns for dinner, and even in one scene, he's eating a meat plate that's shaped like a unicorn. Um, I thought it was great. I thought he was hilarious, but he wasn't. I'm, he wasn't going for any sort of like portrayal of Hitler. I agree, but still in the scene towards the end, where Jojo is very clearly questioning his Nazi beliefs, and then he's in love with Elsa, and Hitler kind of comes at him in in, in, in anger, and he kind of gives him this like "How dare you" type speech. I thought he did an amazing job. I didn't know he was capable of kind of coming out with that kind of gravitas to a role. Right. It was scary. He it just turned scary. on Jojo. He'd always been this amiable, bestie, you know, imaginary yeah, so friend. Really supportive, and supportive, yeah. And all yeah. of a sudden he's yelling at him. And, uh, you know, I looked this up before, but apparently he was actually using parts of a real Hitler speech, which, so the words actually have a lot more meaning there than I think any of us realized when we were watching this. Yeah. 
especially as we talked about, you know, the movie went from more absurdity to more uh, seriousness and a little bit more heavy at the end. But he did a good job of when it was getting more and more serious and you could feel like the weight of what the situation was going on throughout the movie. He would come in and say something funny and then fly out the window, which it did a good job of like bringing it back to that comedy satire. Because not only is he portraying an imaginary friend, Adolf Hitler, but he's also portraying what a ten and a half year old boy might imagine Hitler to be. So it's it's just there's so many layers there. Yeah. So and yet it worked, right? It. It's not like he has any idea what Hitler actually is. Right, so. of course. True. Yeah, and I think one of my favorite performances outside of JoJo and uh, Scarlett Johansson as his mom was probably Sam Rockwell. I think Sam Rockwell is getting a bit of a reputation as playing a repentant racist. Yeah. <laughs> like his yeah, like three billboards film yeah. <laughs> where he's kind of a, I'm doing the best that I Green can. Mile. But Green Mile. Green Mile. Yeah. 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 Those so are the three main yeah, ones. Sam Rockwell, I can't remember the name of the lieutenant that he played or sergeant, but he's very clearly coded as being gay and being in a secret relationship with Alfie Allen's character. And he starts off the movie as this defeated sad sack of a man. Like he just lost an eye. And he even says like, and, and for my like contributions for my sacrifice, I get demoted and having to lead a Nazi youth camp instead of being out in the war. Like I want to be. So you kind of already get this clear, this man who's at a crossroads in his life where there's no real indication that he's particularly racist or whatever. And I think that's one thing to keep in mind that there's no way that the Nazi movement could have progressed as far as it did without people being willing to just go along with it. And that's kind of the sad thing. I think that's what Sam Rockwell's character represents, especially if he is a gay man in 1940s Germany. He knows that there's no upside for him at the end of this war. And if he's good at war, he's using that as this is my purpose. This gives me something that I can be good at and people can recognize. So him being defeated and being demoted and having to lead this Nazi youth camp, losing an eye, um, he, he, you can kind of tell he's just sort of given up, but he sees something in Jojo. And I think that's what motivates him to go out of his way and help because when the Gestapo go to Jojo's house, Sam Rockwell could have very easily said nothing or could have just let the things unfold or just... Or just not shown up, right? Not shown he up came at all. there to save JoJo. Yeah, he didn't have to be there. And he knew that yeah, Elsa... he knew that was, Scarlett Johansson's character was being pursued by the Gestapo, which exactly. is why he went into... Exactly. And yeah, he's really the hammer that drives in the nail of humanity throughout the movie, right? Because like you were saying with the people who in Nazi Germany may not have felt so strongly about the you know the hate and the racism against jewish people in um the time but they were the people who sat back and let it happen um but he really drives home that point of you know we're all humans maybe not everyone even though they're part of this um you know part of this movement feel as strongly about it as everyone else uh which I could see as why people might take that the wrong way of kind of giving an excuse for people who are part of racist movements to later say, oh, they're not all bad, which is kind of what his character is saying, but that's more of a negative way to think about it and a cynical way to think about it. I think it's better to take this character as there's always going to be humanity left in people. Which And that's kind of a, like a nice hopeful vein, right? As right. dark as times can be, there's usually some instances of hope and of positivity to kind of help you think there's some way out of this. There's always a chance for good in people. Right. 
I don't know. I kind of saw his character in a slightly different way. Like in the beginning, he was very one note, kind of goofy. You didn't really take him seriously. But as the movie unfolded, and honestly, not until he came and saved Jojo did I have any sympathy for him. Agreed. Um, you know, he's complicit. Like he was part of the efforts. Um, he never, he didn't stand up. And unlike Scarlett Johansson, who actually actively tried to do something, you know, did the best she could. Did Sam Rockwell always do the best he could? Probably not. But really, the the trick of this movie, I think, for me, is that you know, even though for what seventy five percent of the film, I didn't care that much about his motivations or or whether he survived or not, he made me cry when he was killed at the end of this film more than Scarlett Johansson. And even when I saw Sam Rockwell's name in the credits, I started tearing up again. Guys, it was absurd. I think Malik was crying the last 30 minutes of this movie. I honestly think I did. And honest, like, listen, guys, I cry for anything. I've cried at commercials. I cry watching The Biggest Loser. Like, I will cry. But nothing gets me more than self-sacrifice. And that was what he did at the end. He sacrificed himself to save JoJo. Um, he pretended that JoJo was a Jew and was like, hey, go away, Jew. And then, you know, yeah, saved Jojo yeah. and, and lost his life. Yeah, uh, I, and that just, I don't know, that always gets me. Yeah, I think you're right. I might have been giving him too much credit, but I think it is about that redemption, right? That last little hope of goodness left in people, even in, even after all these atrocities they may have been a part of, there's still always a hope of redemption. Yeah. And guys, we haven't even talked about uh, Thomas and McKenzie, who plays Elsa. She, I, I honestly see big things in her future. She has a, a very difficult position, I think, in this movie of being JoJo's like one hope of recognizing the ridiculousness of his beliefs. So the entire weight of the Jewish people rests on her shoulders to this little boy. And instead of trying to, I don't know, like flatter him or anything like that. She, the entire time is just giving him shit and talking to him like he's a person. And I think that's part of the reason why he was so attracted to her, not just in a romantic way, but just as a person was that this is, you know, this is a person that in theory, he holds a position of privilege. He literally is privileged in this world, but she is not backing down to him. And that intrigues him. And I think if she wasn't that person, that the things things could have played out so differently because she gets the upper hand on him when he discovers her and she's the one that's like he drops his knife and she steals it and threatens him jokingly and he takes it seriously because he doesn't really understand what's going on and throughout the entire movie she kind of just like humors his ridiculousness to the point where he starts thinking wait what and without that and without her pulling off that performance like the the progression of jo- jojo from naive to I'm not going to say like battle worn, but he's seen a lot of stuff from the time the movie starts to the time the movie ends. Like the war is coming a lot closer to his town without having her there. I don't think that he could have gotten to that point that he was, that he got to. Well, that's the interesting part about her character, right? Because I think she's maybe the most interesting, compelling story, just looking in the world of Jojo rabbit of any of the characters, but really it's not a story about her. She's, a tool used to tell the story of Jojo realizing his naivete, right? She's there to help Jojo along in his progression from this Hitler youth to realizing what was wrong with all of his beliefs up to this point. We see a little bit of into her psyche when she's talking to Scarlett Johansson later 
and she's talking about it. I'm never going to get out of this. I'm always going to be running. And, sh- and Scarlett Johansson says, no, you're going to go to Prague and you're going to kiss lots of boys and you're going to look a tiger in the eyes. You're going to dance on tables. You're gonna, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was a really sweet, tender moment where we got to see a little bit more of the psyche of Elsa. But really, she's there to help Jojo along in his coming of age, his progression of you know, breaking out of this indoctrination that he's been in. And even though Elsa is in this position of weakness because she's at the mercy of Jojo, at any moment Jojo could turn around and turn her in and she'd be, you know, possibly killed, she still is like a cat playing with its food, you know? Like, (laughs) you know, Jojo doesn't even realize that and she, she pulls it off so well. She's, she balances that fear of you know not knowing what her future is going to hold and also being like i'm not going to put up with this shit from this kid yeah. like the sarcasm <laughs> and the wise cracks yeah, yeah their back and forth is so adorable when he's writing things in her in his book you know where are your horns where do you hide your horns why aren't you sleeping from the ceiling yeah, and she's like, so like straight man matter of fact like oh they haven't grown in yet i'm not 21 uh, yeah <laughs> and yeah. though I guess I'm not giving her character enough credit. And I thought, I agree. She's going to be someone we're probably going to see around for a long time because I thought she was really great. We did see a little bit more of, you know, what she's gone through with telling the story of Nathan and Jojo writing letters to her as Nathan. And we later find out it was her boyfriend that was killed in the war. Um, So we do get a look into what she's gone through. But, you know, this could be a really different movie if it was based on, Elsa's point of view, right? Where it's all about her struggle and how hard it is for her to be a 16, 17 year old girl living in the walls of some Nazi Germany house. But the movie's called Jojo Rabbit. It's about Jojo. It's about his story. So I thought she was fantastic. Agreed. All right. So let's move on to talk about some of the things that just were amazing. The things that were pitch perfect about this movie. Clay's pitch perfect section. TM. So <laughs> one of my pet peeves about comedies is the lack of direction. <laughs> and it's something that I think has gotten better over the last, last decade or so. Um, but you can see it with filmmakers like Edgar Wright when there's a difference of care going into filmmaking and, and editing and stylistic choices where maybe in the past 20 years, it was very much like a straight shot. Like you just kind of give the actors a script and let them go. But the direction in this movie, I thought, really augmented the storytelling. So not only, there's a lot of different kind of choices that are happening directorial here. So you have a an imaginary friend character who kind of acts as like exposition dump, sort of, you know, stream of consciousness for the protagonist. You have a character who's, you have several characters who are in the know in different ways. So you have Elsa, who clearly knows his home life. You have... Um, Sam Rockwell and all those guys who are kind of examples of JoJo's outside life. And then you have the camera being an active participant in a lot of these scenes. And I think especially in the moments where it's the most intense and the most ridiculous, I think when like Elsa's chasing JoJo around the house, like think about those moments, the camera moves with the emotional heft of the scene. And you don't realize at the time, but if this was just a static cut to a shot, cut to a shot, cut to a shot, it doesn't have the same momentum and like thrill to it. It really does play a huge part, especially in the beginning where Jojo's in the Nazi youth camp and it's clearly him going through all these conflicting emotions and being bullied and talking himself up through his um, imaginary best friend to like go do something crazy and prove himself. 
the camera is moving in such ways that it's like we're kind of we're 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 a fly on the wall of Jojo's life, and that's a very different perspective. And I think that's a that's a specific choice to make you feel like you're you're getting a peek behind the curtain versus this is just a thing that's being played for you like on a stage. Yeah, and I think you're right. It's the evolution of comedy over the last 20 years. People talk about now how, you know, there's no real comedy blockbusters anymore, but there are. They're just, they're, they take a different form than we're used to seeing over the past 20 years. You know, we have the Judd Apatow and Adam McKay, Will Ferrell movies where the strategy was pretty much let's get all these comedians in a room and just let them let them go give them a rough outline of what the plot is and let them improv their way to what's funny but to your point clay it it, i I don't want to say it's more care because i love those movies like but i just i was telling malika and clay the other day i just watched Step Brothers the other night on netflix netflix sponsor us hashtag sponsor but I was watching Step Brothers the other night on Netflix and you could tell the scenes where they just set up cameras and they're like, okay, John C. Riley, Will Ferrell just start saying funny shit. And it's, it works. It worked then, but we're just in a different, like a different period of comedy filmmaking now where that has kind of become trite. Like you saw it with Holmes and Watson that just came out that was awful and bombed at the Sometimes it doesn't work, right? Sometimes it doesn't work, yeah. And now I just think as a society, we're at a different point of comedy filmmaking where people want more intelligence out of what we find funny. And that's, you're right, what this film did really well was it was able to fit in those really goofy, funny moments, but within the context of the overall story and, um, you know, characterization of who these people are and making it feel some somewhat like it's something that could happen. Agreed. So, well, yeah, I know you always have an opinion on what you would have done if you had made this movie. So what would be your, your take for Jojo rabbit? Yeah, I always like to have little things that I say, if I made this movie, can you guys hear me rolling my eyes? <laughs> <laughs> no. So a little too loud. Clay. How about now? <laughs> if there, one thing that I thought would have been an interesting kind of twist at the end was if, you know, we heard so much, there was so much foreshadowing and leading up to talking about Jojo's father and where he is. He's kind of on the liberation front. He's outside of Germany. He's doing his best to try and help liberate Jewish people in Nazi Germany. I think it would have been really cool and powerful if at the end, after, you know, they else is able to walk free, we get to see jojo's dad come back and i think it would have been really interesting if it was played by taika ytt as well i think it would do a good job of kind of explaining why jojo has this hitler imaginary friend he's has a single mom he doesn't have a whole lot of family in his life he doesn't have kind of a father figure to turn to and that would kind of explain why he crafts this imaginary friend in his head who's hitler but it's not really hitler if it was based off of you know what he remembers from his father i thought that would have been a cool powerful moment in the film but yeah plus it could have gone away to not that it needs to be explained but maybe to explain why his uh, imaginary version of adolf hitler was so goofy and jokey jokey because it does seem like based off of scarlett johansson that his parents definitely 
were very affectionate and very fun loving. So it would totally make a lot of sense if his dad was like that. He just missed having that presence in his life of this man that gets him and jokes around with him. So I agree that could have made a lot of sense. Maybe it's something uh, Taika has a deleted scene. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. And I don't think the Hitler imaginary friend necessarily needs explanation, but if you were looking for an explanation of why it was that way, that could have been a good way to do it. I think. And when I was watching the movie, I actually thought that's what was going to happen. But I'm glad it didn't because I liked the way the movie ended. I liked Jojo and Elsa. She's finally free and she's standing on the street and they're just dancing. And it's such an innocent moment in chaos. It's literally there's stuff falling around in the background. Stuff falling around everywhere. People are being executed like you know it is still chaos outside and yet they're able to have this quiet personal moment between them and I just loved ending like that and I thought that having some sort of reveal you know with with the dad coming back would be too much and would be distracting right because at the end of the day it wasn't about the dad at all he was just off screen I don't even think he had a name did they ever say his dad's name no, the only reason why I bring it up, though, is because I feel like they talk about his dad a pretty substantial amount in the movie for it to not tie back around some way. Yeah, I, that makes sense. But I definitely, like Malika said, I like the choice. They ended yeah, I agree. And that moment, you're right, is like so cute and precious. That's how I feel about <laughs> this entire movie. It's so wonderful. Well, wants to take this movie and wrap it in a blanket and cuddle it's it. Really Seriously. Cute. Yeah. And I think the missing dad was sort of... It, why he has an imaginary friend who's like a father figure, why he's drawn to Sam Rockwell, why his mother feels a need to pretend to be the dad in that you know adorable scene where she puts the, the ash on her face. It makes sense because he's longing for a male figure in his life, but doesn't really need one because he, you know, he grows up. As you said, it's he a coming up. of age story. So he becomes the man in his life. He does. Yeah. That's beautiful. All right. So one thing that's kind of become a running gag for us is having a character or a part of this movie that just does not fit basically the JB smooth award, JB smooth <laughs> shout JB out smooth. Spider-Man far from home. So, so yeah, what is the thing or person in this movie that doesn't make sense? And to me, that is rebel Wilson. And I liked her in the beginning of the film when she was at the youth Hitler camp, but towards the end, it kind of, her performance, it just felt like Rebel Wilson running through the movie. It did not feel like she was playing a character anymore. And I just, that was the one thing in such a perfect film for me that just did not jive. Yeah. It was like diminishing returns. It was like, wait, you're still here. Oh my God. Yeah. And as we talked about kind of the tonal shift throughout the movie with the absurdist Wes Anderson, almost inspired beginning. She totally fit into that part of the movie of this Hitler youth camp where all the adults in it are totally strange and don't, you know, make any sense. And that was a perfect fit for rebel Wilson. And honestly, it's even a harder indictment of her character. When we have an imaginary friend, Hitler as one of the main characters of the movie. And we feel like rebel Wilson is the thing that fits in least with what's going on around her. I mean, at one point at the end, she has a small child with them while there's a war going on in the city, in the town. And she hands him a live grenade and says, go run that, go run and give that person over there a hug. Like that was just a moment that totally took me out of what was a serious part of the film. And she 
is running through the streets with a giant Gatling gun just screaming and firing. Yeah. Like Agreed. Though she did deliver one of my favorite lines of this movie, which was, I've had 12 kids for Germany. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was just such a ridiculous line yeah. and the delivery right. was great. But I was just like, wait, what? But I sort of wish that was her last line. You know, she uh, yeah. was nice in that scene and she points to the bun- bunch of the, the clones and the, that's it. That's all you needed. It was overkill having her show up at the end. Just she definitely deserves the JB Smooth Award, in my opinion. So congratulations to you, Rebel Wilson. You are the JB Smooth <laughs> you are the of first, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, recipient. First, recipient. first recipient. Medals in the mail. Just, just <laughs> check it out. All right, guys. So. You know, I think we've had a lot of good things to say about this movie. Let's wrap it up. Let's talk about how we felt about the movie and how we'd rate this movie. Um, I can start off. So, obviously, it's very clear that we all really enjoy this movie. Like Will said, this is probably one of my favorite movies of the year so far. And, we know, we're going into December soon. I'd be very surprised if anything topped it. So, this is probably at the highest rating I've ever given. I'm going to give this movie 4.75 out of 5 paper Nazi uniforms. Wow. It's a big one. I also am going to give this a five out of five meat unicorns. Um, I It was one of the only movies, and maybe it's just because it was such a heartwarming, kind of lighthearted take on something that's not a lighthearted subject, but it really, at the end, I came out feeling happy. I was so satisfied with the entire story. You know, a lot of movies you come out wanting more or you think, you know, that was too much, but it was really just hit all the perfect notes. And yeah, it was my favorite movie of the year so far. I'm going to give this one a 4.9 out of five butterflies in the stomach. And I know clay, you're like, what are you thinking? But for me, I'm not ready to give it a five out of five until I've seen it again. I saw it the first time and it made me feel all of the feelings. As I said, I cried probably the last chunk of this movie. But uh, a five out of five movie is something that I can watch over and over again and still get those feelings. So, you know, we'll reserve that rating for the next time I see this. But right now it's a 4.9 out of five. I think ultimately, though, this is still the highest rated movie we've all given and the most aligned we've been on a movie so far. I totally agree. It was wonderful. And easy could have been controversial and it wasn't at all for us. Agreed. Any final thoughts? Anything you'd like to say to wrap up how you felt about this movie? I would just encourage anyone who, if you're listening this far, you've probably already seen it because we gave a spoiler warning. But if you haven't seen it and you're just listening for fun, definitely go see it. It's it's one that, you, you know, you like we said, Malika was crying for about 60% of the movie, but it wasn't, I love that that percentage keeps growing. (laughs) It wasn't necessarily a sad movie. It was just a heartwarming. There were, there were some happy cries in there too. So, uh, I would just encourage everyone to go see it. It's a feel good movie. You come out and you feel satisfied and tell your friends to see it. It's great. It needs all the hype we can get. Agreed. I think this is the kind of movie that I like seeing in theaters. It's not, your typical sequel remake adaptation uh, type type movie. And, you know, it's really original, original, well done. And, you know, spend your dollars, go see this in theaters, go pay for the DVD. Wait, who has DVDs anymore? You get the idea. <laughs> um, I think it's based on a book. So I'm curious to see what, how the book is. So that might be my next project is, is reading in like, how does this movie captured it on the page? I'm so curious. So that's be, what I, let us know. That'd be really interesting. <laughs> my winter. I reading. can't read. All right, cool. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. 
This has been the Cynical Podcast. Until next time. See ya. Peace. Whoop.